thank you very much, Christian. I'm just looking at the time to make sure that I make it in 15 minutes. I've already, yes. I'm Laurie, I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I'm from Winnipeg, Canada, uh, where it's a lot colder than it is, I think, in Australia. I'm not sure, or maybe other climes. Um, I've been in this fellowship since February the 11th of 1986. I have been abstinent uh, since May 1st of 1993, approximately May 1st of 1993, so about 29 and a half years. When I say abstinent, I don't mean just not indulging in the behaviors and the foods and the ingredients that I have to abstain from, but not wanting to. That's the miracle that the 12 steps have given me. I no longer have, and my mind no longer finds excuses for returning to that which I used to be tempted to return to all the time. And I want to talk about that, but the theme, uh, you'll notice that there's a seven-year time between the time I first joined and the time that I got abstinent. Uh, I, I was abstinent and then I relapsed and I was abstinent and I relapsed, abstinent, relapsed. And my journey through that seven, approximately seven years of relapse uh, gives me the theme uh, of, of uh, what I would like to discuss, which is the definition of the problem that we have and why the 12 steps are the solution to that problem. Um, I was told by my first sponsor when I first joined that my problem was compulsive eating and that I should go on a diet and work the steps. And after I worked the steps and continued to work the steps, I would no longer want to eat in anything other than moderation. I could eat anything but in moderation. And this was, of course, in line with every diet I had ever been on, and I'd been on lots of them, and every program I had ever been on, I'd been on a few of them. Um, it was in line with this every diet I'd ever read, every article I ever read. Once I lost my weight, I was an overeater. Once I lost my weight, I could eat anything in moderation. The sponsor I had said that it worked for him, and I have no doubt that it worked for him. Um, but it didn't work for me. Uh, I, I was on a diet. I lost my weight. Uh, I worked the steps. I felt great. And then I allowed myself, allowed myself the diet I was on allowed me. I, I still remember it was half a donut or a half a scoop of ice cream that was, you know, where the, and the strict instructions about scraping it off. So it was exactly a half a scoop or two cookies a week. One of those three. And uh, I could have that and there would be no problem. Well, uh, for me, uh, what happened was that as I began to have a little bit of those, I began to have a little bit more of those and a little bit more of other things until I began to gain the weight all over again. And then I went back on a diet and worked the steps again and went back to not eating compulsively, which didn't seem to work for me. I finally was uh, challenged by the shyest woman in the room. I've been going to this very good meeting and people would say, how are you, Lori? I'd say, fine. Although I was gaining weight, I was talking a lot. They loved to hear me talk, they said. Um, and uh, the shyest one in the room came up to me one day and said, how are you, Lori? And I said, fine, just as I had said to everyone else. And she looked at me straight in the eye and he came, she came this close. And she said, I mean, really? And I, 
I remember, I still remember exactly how I felt and where I was, although I, I wish I could remember the exact date. It was probably in the, toward the uh, uh, December of 1992 or perhaps January of 1993. Um, and I just broke down. I, I said, I'm in terrible shape. I, I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just in awful shape. And that began my journey uh, to recovery. She loved me enough to challenge me. You know, I, one of my mentors in this fellowship was also a member of AA, and he said he, he had heard somewhere, honesty without compassion can be cruel, but compassion without honesty can kill by enabling. And that's what was happening to me. I was being enabled to go on and on with the relapses that I was going through, and no one was challenging me, and she did. She told me she prayed for two or three weeks before she did challenge me. Uh, but I'm so grateful for her. Anyway, I began to sort of work with her and feel better. And then I began, I was asked to sponsor a man who had been in AA and, and sober for 15 years. And together we helped each other work the steps. And I finally began to accept what is found in the doctor's opinion of the big book and is found in the first three or four pages of our OA 12 and 12, both then and the new revised version that there is something different about my reaction to uh, overeating, or in some cases for other people under eating, that creates cravings that are equivalent to, to my inability to stop blinking for any great length of time, or my inability to stop breathing for any length of time. I can will my body not to breathe. I really have never tested myself in the last number of years, but it may be a minute that I can stop breathing until my body says, you're going to breathe. Same with my blinking. I can hold my eyes open for a while, but at a certain point, my body is going to say, you're going to blink. And this was the kind of dieting I had been in most of my life. When I ate ice cream or when I ate buttered popcorn or uh, French fries or chips, depending on what country you live in, um, uh, or potato chips or crisps, depending on what country you live in, um, I something went on in my body and it wanted more. And it was telling me I want more and I could not overcome it. I mean, sometimes I'd switch from one to another, but that's, I finally accepted this notion that my body was as sick as my mind. And once I accepted that, and I'll go into that in a little bit more detail in a moment, I realized what the steps can do. The steps don't deal with that. I have to abstain from that which causes me the cravings. But what the steps do is keep me from the real heart of the problem. And that is a mind that has, finds any reason that makes sense at the time to return to that which I know once I start, I can't stop. And if I can get rid of that mind problem, then I can be around anything that I used to indulge in that I must abstain from and not want to abstain it. And not want to have it and not find excuses. And, and the brilliant part of this mind issue is that the reason why I, the reasons I give myself are never any good 
whether they are deep emotional traumatic issues, which in my cases has not always been, or has not often been that, or they're silly and stupid reasons like it's organic or they made it for me or I'm standing up. It doesn't matter. At a certain point, my mind clicks and says, oh, that's a good enough reason. And it never is a good reason. And even the most difficult and emotional times in my life when I've turned to eating, the old AA question is uh, that it has always been relevant. So how's that working out for you? You know, because uh, it never, it is never a solution. But what I had to do was, first of all, and this is what makes OA more difficult than most fellowships, because we are a combination, an umbrella fellowship of some people who have only behavior issues, just like Gamblers Anonymous is a behavior issue, or shopaholics, or codependents, um, or single, and, and we are spectrum, single substances like Alcoholics Anonymous, or Cocaine Anonymous, or Crystal Meth Anonymous, or a combination of ingredients, or uh, a, a variation of ingredients or substances like Narcotics Anonymous. We span that spectrum, and we, some of us may have one or the other or all of them. I have all of them, personally, and I had to do my own uh, analysis of what it was that triggered me and what it was that caused in me uncontrollable cravings. In some people, it might be simply compulsive eating, as it seems to have been for my for my first sponsor, and as it is for me in, 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 in certain respects. I, I have things about oral gratification that I have to deal with by not eating between meals. Um, I have things of being filled, so filled that I feel stuff that I have to deal with by finding a way to eat less than I, would, I used to eat. Plus, I have some ingredients and I have some foods that trigger me that once I start eating them, I want more and more of them or things like them or things unlike them, but still things that I shouldn't be, I should be abstaining from. You know, sometimes I go from uh, uh, salty and fat to sugar and fat, because for me, it's usually a combination of high fat content mixed with sugar and high fat content mixed with salt. For other people, it may be very different. But each one of us, as OA has, has said, the group conscience of OA, is that we must figure it out for ourselves. And I can eat things that some people in this room cannot eat, and some people in this room can eat things that I can't eat. Uh, and that's the way it is. And it's our responsibility to figure it out. And that is really hard. And it requires an absolute honesty and a really good analysis of what's going on and not listening to what other people say, oh, it's got to be this or it's got to be that. It doesn't got to be anything. It could be completely different. And, and, uh, and, and that makes it difficult. The other thing, by the way, it, that's difficult about OA compared to most other 12-step fellowships is the lack of drama about our addiction. There are most, most other addictions People can make one decision to go back to their addiction, and it can be absolutely life-changing. Gamble away the house. Uh, you know, walk into traffic not knowing where you are. Have an overdose that kills you. Whereas with us, you know, one extra this or one extra that simply adds to the poundage or adds to the lack of poundage, depending whether you're an overeater or undereater, and that ultimately kills you, 
ultimately takes away your freedom over a period of time, death by a thousand cuts, where you suffer slowly and don't even know you're suffering until it becomes more and more obvious. Um, and it is, the, it is uh, undramatically, the leading preventable cause of death in many countries, at least up there with one or two others, because of all the hidden killers. So figuring out what it is that we must abstain from involves analyzing the issues relating to cravings. Thank you, Trace. The issues relating to cravings and cravings have to be looked at very carefully. This tendency of, it's this sense of, I want to stop, but I can't while you're in the middle of it. It's this sense of, for me as an overeater, having the, the hand or the fork or the spoon bring the food to the mouth. Um, usually it's the hand, it used to be the hand, even though it should have been the fork or the spoon, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's just, you know, but um, it's this sense of having it come up to the mouth and the, and the mind saying, this is not good for me. I will stop after the next one and not stopping after the next one. And this is as true for the vomiter as it is true for the person who doesn't eat at all as it is for someone like me who overeats. Sometimes it's just a quantity issue. And sometimes it is specific foods or specific combinations of foods. And figuring that out requires rigorous honesty and a rigorous analysis. And figuring that out um, means that we discover things as we go. We are as honest as we can be, and then we work the steps and accepting what most other 12-step fellowships accept, which is that you gotta be honest to work the steps and you can't be honest if you're not as abstinent as you honestly uh, can be. How, how could you, you know, I, um, and I'll just finish. I think I have one more minute. Um, uh, I, I have known too few, too many people. There may be people in this fellowship who can say, I got abstinent when I, while I worked the steps. But that's not what we should stand for. Uh, because I have seen too many of my friends have died who thought that could happen to them. Most 12-step fellowships say, get sober. Don't do it, but work the steps as quickly as you can, because by the time you finish step nine, the mind won't be there that will send you back. You will look at this stuff as I look at ice cream in my freezer every day and say, well, it's going to be thrown out. And I don't say, well, if it's going to be thrown out, I'll have it. I say, I guess it's going to be thrown out because no one's eating it. I don't want it. I can look at others, enjoy the food, and be happy for them, and not jealous or tempted to have it, even if they leave it on their plate and it's going to melt away or, or be thrown out. I don't care, because that's what's the sanity of the 12 steps. That's what's promised in step two, and that comes through this sense of harmony with our deepest values, which some people will call God. And I think my time is up. So I will stop then. So my theme is taken from the big book and from, uh, is that what you want me to talk to, to say? Yeah, yep. it's taken from, from what started from the doctor's opinion in the big book, but is picked up in our OA 12 and 12 in uh, the step one discussion. And that is the, the body and the mind problem. The body in the sense of the overwhelming inability to stop once you've started. 
it's not necessarily a body because uh, it's not necessarily a, a specific kind of allergic reaction because gambling, you know, is, is a behavior and so is just, you know, uh, vomiting or, or, or uh, uh, restricting. There may or may not be chemical relationships to that, but but that's not that's not the issue. The point is, it's something you can't stop once you start. That's the what the big book describes as the allergy. The body would what the OA twelve and twelve describes as cravings. And on the other side is the mind that has given us permission to return to that which we know we can't do. The vicious circle. I can't stop once I've started. I can't stop from starting. So that's the theme. And I welcome, I would love to hear what other people have to say about it. Thank you.